0: Um, If you haven't been around or maybe you missed the last couple weeks, we kind of are doing this fly over 30,000 foot look of the Old Testament. The purpose of this is to, um, again, just give us better footing in the Old Testament. The Old Testament can be confusing. It is so different from our culture. You have a lot of things in there. You're like, whoa, ah, that doesn't make sense. What do I do with this passage? Um, There's just a lot going on, and yet it's two-thirds of our Bible, and by no means Is it tossed out the door because of Jesus? It's important. It's the foundation of the New Testament. And so we're going over, we're hitting all the high points in order just to help us understand the Old Testament, to make it just kind of relate more to our situation, and hopefully for you guys to see the real beauty in the Old Testament. Oh, it's so wonderful. Love the Old Testament. Most of it. I'm going to be honest. Lacey loves First and Second Samuel. That's not my favorites, and, but it's still the Bible. It's still great. So, but we all have our favorites, right? We all have our things we always go back to. Um, we're going to read Genesis 3, probably the most uh, well-known chapter in the entire Bible. Um, I think uh, undoubtedly across the board, you don't even have to be Christian, and you probably have heard of the fall and Adam and Eve eating from the truth, the, the truth, I, I combined tree and fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, but real quick, to recap, because it's important to understand and keep this in mind, Genesis 1, two weeks ago, we talked about you know Genesis 1 really being about this, this temple inauguration text. It's about God bringing order to the cosmos, to his creation, and um, this wonderful order and this good, good, good order. And it was all for the purpose of him dwelling in this good creation, and, and we as human beings, the last of his creations, the ones made in his image, are really the, the, uh, the pinnacle of his uh, creations, um, but we are to rule on this earth. And we talked about rule, we talked about resting, we talked about what a mental rule, and, and one of the big pieces of ruling was hey, God's gonna create this garden in Genesis chapter 2, which is gonna act as this holy of holies. If you're familiar with the tabernacle and the temple, you have this holy of holies, this place where God was intimately present. This garden acts as this. And he places Adam and Eve in there to be these these first kind of priests. To take care of God's sacred space. And then to extend. That's really the commission. To rule and to be this royal priesthood. To rule and to be these priests. Is to extend God's order out as well as extend God's presence out into all the cosmos. That's kind of the commission. These wonderful things to keep in mind. Things that are still in play to this day. Still in play to this day. We are, as I talked about, 1 Peter 2.9. Peter is like, we are the royal priesthood of believers. Still these dual roles that began with Adam and Eve are still in play. We are still commissioned by them today to extend God's order into the world and to extend His presence into the world. I love that so much. So we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to kind of see how these points kind of uh, see what happens to them, shall we say, in a very interesting way. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Again, I didn't didn't want to copy and paste the whole chapter into my slides. Jason would give me a hard time. I always have too many slides anyways, all right? So we're going to read this whole thing together. Uh, There is so much going on. Uh, But we're going to hit on a couple things this morning. So, Genesis chapter 3. Here we go. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. So they, fo- they sowed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that it commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden. To work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I've been so emotional about this sermon all week, and it's so, I don't know, it just kind of threw me off guard. There's so much going on in this chapter, it's so jam packed. It is arguably one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. There is so much. We could talk about we could talk about what in the world is this serpent doing in, in the holy of holies right what in the world we could talk about the semantics of the serpent's responses and how clever they were and how he actually doesn't lie or tell doesn't lie about or twist god's truth he messes with eve's wordings which is a fascinating thing we, we just can't get to it right now we got some other stuff to get to we can talk about the nakedness and why was that such a big deal but we can know that Noah eventually will come down in a few chapters, that one of his sons looks on Noah's nakedness, and this is seen as a terrible thing. So that gives us a clue that something about this nakedness was shameful, something in was, was, that culture was really a bad thing. And that's why they became aware and saw that they were naked. We could talk about, man, sorry women, childbirth now is a bummer. But now we have some medicine, so praise the Lord, right? I wonder how God feels about that. I wonder what he feels about that. That would be kind of an interesting thing to ask, you know? You guys aren't doing my curse. i probably think the same thing about fertilizer and, you know, weed killer and stuff like that. Hey, what are you guys doing? You guys are supposed to be cursed. now. We could talk about that. We could talk about Adam. Man, we could talk about all sorts of things. I think the thing to keep in mind with my last two sermons and why we'll hit on... And for the subject matter, again, the purposes is to hit the big points to understand so we can understand the whole Old Testament, is this. I'll give you your your two points right off the bat. Genesis 3 shows us the encroachment, somewhat of a football term, the encroachment of disorder into the cosmos. Talked about Genesis 1 being order, God bringing order. And now we have disorder. We have disorder through what Adam and Eve did. Now that sin has entered in. Your second point is that life in God's presence is forfeited. The big point at the very end of chapter 3. He banishes them so that they cannot have the tree of life. They cannot have God's intimate presence. Man, let's, let's, let's unpack these. Well, I will show them how they lead to so much more else in the Old Testament. And I'll show you how it leads to Jesus in a quite wonderful way. So let's talk about the encroachment of disorder into the cosmos. Again, like I said, man, Genesis 1 and 2, order, order, order. Man, and it is good. Man, I love how this works. Humans, we're going to partner together. We're going to bring order. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. This is going to be this fun, great purpose and life together. Man, this is going to be wonderful. It's order. Now that Adam and Eve have disobeyed and gone against what God told them to do, now we have disorder. I have a couple quotes from you from John Walton. Uh, You definitely want to snap it. There's no way you're going to be able to write this down. (laughs) First one, check this out. As we consider the Old Testament information, we should be clear that the fall is not just disobedience or eating forbidden fruit. These actions could be considered crimes, but they were crimes that were simply... The expressions of the fall. The fall was the decision to be like God, conveyed by the serpent's words in verse 5. The woman's response in verse 6. God's assessment in verse 22. And the reason for the banishment in verse 23. It was all about the decision to be like God. The way in which the man and the woman have become like God is qualified in relation to what the tree represented. So no suggestion is made that they have become omniscient, which is all-knowing, or omnipotent. They haven't become like God in that sense. John Walton proposes that by disobediently taking the fruit, they were trying to be like God by positing themselves as the center and source of order. They were positing themselves as the center and source of order. I have another quote for you that will unpack this, make it a little bit more uh, relatable. Check this out. In taking from the tree, Adam and Eve were trying to set themselves up as satellite centers of wisdom apart from God. It is a childish sort of response. I can do it myself, or I want to do it my way. These are not a rejection of authority per se, but an insistence on independence. The act is an assertion that it's all about me. It is one that has characterized humanity individually and corporately since this first act. With people as a source and center of wisdom, the result was not order centered on them, but disorder. This disorder extended to all people of all time, as well as to the cosmos, and life in God's presence, this is where I took it from, was forfeited. How do we see this disorder when we uh, uh, place wisdom on our own uh, shoulders? Uh, I think one of the prime examples is that uh, we don't make relationship with God our prime objective in our life. We were made for relationship with God. Genesis 1. Genesis 2. Intimacy. And now that sin has come in, we all feel the temptation to not put God first. That is why in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, God says, the first commandment, the commandment's about order and about living together, says that you will have no other gods beside me. And yet we all feel the disorder tempting us all around us. Make your life about money. Make your life about fame. Make your life about pleasure. Make your life about this. Go... We all have the temptation to use our own wisdom and to decide what the good life looks like for each and every one of us. And if it doesn't primarily at the tippy top and affect everything below it be about relationship with God, then we have disorder. We have disorder. And we feel it. We know it, we've experienced it, we know, we've all experienced where we put something higher than God, we've gone after it, and we've either worked three jobs, killed ourselves trying to make money, and then we're just you know, stuck in it or we've gone after pleasure and pleasure and pleasure and then we find ourselves, we're enslaved to it and now we need it and then we can't sleep without it, right? We, we know as we try to prop ourselves up and make a name for ourselves, gosh, this leads so perfectly to the Tower of Babel where it epitomizes this me, me, me. They literally say, we're going out into the, the, the wilderness, guess what? We're going to build a tower to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. There's no coincidence. The Tower of Babel is in this very beginning part of Genesis. It is showing us this is where it leads. This is where it makes it all about us. This is where we go. Man, God is so upset, so so angry at all this disorder that through two chapters later, beginning in 5, he's like, man, I am so done with this world. And thus the flood. Man, I'm take out this disorder, I'm going to take it out, with, which is interesting, using water, water in their culture, not water, water, but the sea, uh, very much was seen as kind of a, a you could almost argue, non-order or chaotic. Uh, it was, it's where Leviathan, so you'll read in the Old Testament, you'll come across this creature called Leviathan. If you ever want the boss move of all boss moves is Job. And Job is like, God, man, why is this all going on, man? Why aren't you asking me? Da da. da, da. And God at the very end comes in and just boss move, like, who are you to question me? And he talks about this very beautifully: what God can do to Leviathan. What he can, how he can hook it, how he can make it talk sweet words to him. Like it's such a boss move, and it's so, it can be so lost on us because we're like, Leviathan, this is weird and what the heck. But yet they kind of viewed this creature as this kind of epitome of this chaotic, non-ordered realm that they saw the sea being. And, and this is so important to get this because when Jesus calms the sea, yes, we always use it as, well, he calms our, you know, everything going on in our lives. You can calm it. Yes, yes, that's, that's some of it. But really, to them and their culture, they would see, whoa, who's this guy that, can, that has power over chaos, over non-ordered? This non-ordered realm. He casts out demons. Another kind of category in this non-ordered, chaotic realm of how they viewed the world. He can cast them out. Who's this? And that's why in John, it's always referred to as Jesus' seven signs, not seven miracles. It's such a bad word for us to use. It's seven signs because Jesus is saying, who else has power over these non-ordered, chaotic realms? Who? Who? And you just know, like, Bartholomew's like, Jesus? Man, not quite right yet. 2,000 years in Sunday school, you're going to be right. I need you to say God. Because he's saying, I'm God. God's the only one that can do this. God's the only one that's done this in the Old Testament. Now I'm doing it. Who does that make me? God. That's what Jesus is trying to show us. That's what John was trying to show us in the Gospel of John, the seven signs. Who else does these types of things? God. Man, I love it. But boy, do we feel the disorder. Put put something else above God. Boy, we feel the disorder in relationships with each other. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Nobody wants to take responsibility. We feel this all the time, don't we? (laughs) We rub shoulders with each other. We feel it. We feel the disorder to not do things in an orderly way. We feel it. It's so hard. Man, we feel this disorder all around us. The encroachment of this disorder it's been going on ever since we experience it we take it on it is part of it well let will say more about it but let's get to our second point. point second point is this is that life in God's presence is forfeited this is a big deal this is a big big deal it's not simply just you know oh man you know now we don't have as close of a relationship with God you know bummer like oh my gosh Like, John Walton makes a, it's not a hot, I don't know. I sometimes think it's a hot take, because maybe you guys haven't heard this. He makes the case that Adam and Eve were created mortal. They were not immortal. His big point is that you have the presence of the tree of life. Uh, That was how they could be immortal. They had to eat from the tree of life. makes sense also in that when God casts them out, he cuts off access to the tree of life, and therefore we know that 900, after 900 years of walking on the earth, Adam dies because he did not have access to the tree of life. And so this cutting off of life in God's presence very much was seen as death. Not We would sometimes say spiritual death. No, it was all-encompassing death. It was all-encompassing death. And again, when Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life, you know, he's the way, the truth, and the life, again, sometimes it's easy for us in our culture, like, yeah, God's life, like, he's life. Like, you know, you kind of have these interesting ways of thinking about what life is. But to them, they would say, it's no, it's all-encompassing. It's all life. It is literal life, literal life. Because you can't have life outside of God. And yes, we know you can breathe and you can live in a physical way. Not, you can be a non-Christian and not like you're, you're still alive. But to them, you said, well, you're, you're doomed to death, so you're kind of walking. You're, you're, you're a zombie to some sense. You're dead, but you're alive. And I think that's a fair analogy to that, how they would see somebody like that. Dead in their transgressions. Dead on the inside, but still living. Whitewashed tombs, as Jesus loves to say. This is so fascinating, yet such a, a terrible consequence. I experience alienation from God and, and and how much I think where I've become emotional is I've like not pitied God but felt bad for God. It creates, you know, humans in this wonderful world to have a relationship with us and he's got to be the one to say, leave. Probably like maybe some of you parents have had to tell kids, I love you, but you need to leave. And, and I feel for that, I feel it for him. And I, and I even feel even more sad because I, I partake in, in, in so much of what Adam and Eve have done in my life. And I make those same decisions. And how sad do I make God? And it's it's kind of sad to think. And, and then yet, it is so it just moves me to, God, I want to get right, I want order. And order starts with right relationship. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom getting that right relationship, putting him number one man and not putting anything else beside him and letting that emanate down to everything else. Oh, it's so, so vital. So, so important. Oh, but so sad, the consequence. It goes way beyond worse childbearing and having to deal with weeds. They lost the presence of God and alienated from God. How sad. Man, really, these are so important because, honestly, I could end the series right now. You have everything you need to understand the Old Testament. From here on out, it is literally God trying to enter back into relationship in the presence of humanity. Man, it is not long before we get to Genesis 12. It is only nine chapters later where he makes a covenant with Abraham says, you know what? I will be your God. You will be my people. I will make your name great. I will make your offspring great. You will be as numerous as the star, stars in the sky. They will be my people. I will bless you. And man, through Abraham, through his son Isaac, and his Isaac to Jacob, who becomes Israel, and the twelve sons of Israel, and we get all that kind of great narrative through the back end of Genesis and how they get to Egypt, and then Exodus starts. They're enslaved and, and and they're, they're enslaved by the greatest power, world power at the time, Egypt, and God leads them out, and God's just constantly, through all these things, trying to enter back into relationship, back into the presence, to dwell among them. That is literally the Hebrew tabernacled is God dwelling, God dwelling with them. And He enters back constantly into that, with the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. I'm going to be... You're going to be my people. I will be your God. You will be my treasured possession. We will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And by this plan, emanate, expand, facilitate my presence out. Invite the sojourner. Invite the foreigner into the fold. Man, the law has so much to say about people. Invite them in. Ruth is not an Israelite. She was a Moabite. And yet, she is in the line Of David and Jesus. That should show us, man, it was always, it was never about, hey, we're just us, us few and no more, you know? It was always meant to expand, always meant to invite the other nations in, always invited. And we see time and time again Israel given the law as order. And boy, what do they do with it? Man, they disobey a lot. Just like us. They disobey. They get it wrong. They do it right sometimes. The Old Testament is full of wonderful stories of some people who did it well. Man, they really, really were about order. I've, I've, I've sometimes wondered, oh man, I kind of want to name one of my sons Phineas cause, and call him Finn. I just think it'd be cool because Phineas is one of the, and the priests. And uh, there was sin, there was a couple um, having a little ménage à toi. Going on in the camp when they weren't supposed to, he takes a spear and he goes into the tent and whoosh, right through both of them. Hardcore. I like it. I don't know. I mean it's I mean nowadays it's like, ooh, okay, all right, all right. I'm not gonna kill some people, you know, do it. But but I was just like, yes, and in the old testament it's like Phineas, yeah, well done. This is zeal for the Lord and the order of the Lord. Don't be sinning in the camp. Come on. Man, I love it. Man, you have people who kind of did it really well and then they also didn't do it well. David, man after God's own heart. And yet, you know, he made mistakes, right? And, and I think we're all kind of in that boat of we're doing some order and we're doing some disorder. And uh, man, we see that constantly. The order and the disorder working its way through the Old Testament and the struggle of this. And then we also see God's presence through the covenants, through the tabernacle, through the temple of Solomon. God is trying to be with us. Trying to dwell with us. But when He dwells with us, we don't get to just do whatever we want to do. It matters. Any relationship, you don't just get to do what you want to do. Uh, That's not relationship. You have to think about the other people. You have to sometimes uh, lay down your life for another person. You have to not do things how you want to do. Uh, that's how we relate. It's not all about us. And again, the exile, which you'll come to towards the end of First and Second Kings, um, and a lot of the prophets and the minor prophets talk about this, is the epitome of you, you messed up too many times, and now again. I'm removing myself or removing you from my presence. It's a big, big deal to the Israelites. It's a big, big deal. It's painful, the Old Testament. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. So many great figures, so many great stories that inspire us to continue to live with order and not be agents of disorder. Man, and so many relatable characters of, again, some really good, some not so good but just shows us so much so clearly how much God, as Psalm 103, does not repay us according to our iniquities. Man, so wonderful. This so beautifully leads into Jesus, and I just absolutely want to just hit on this. Because once again, we see God trying to be with us. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacled among us. And the glory of the Lord was shown about him. Very reminiscent of Exodus chapter 40, where God's Shekinah glory fills the temple. God is with us through Jesus in an intimate way that would blow the minds of every Israelite and even Moses. Could not imagine a human being, God in human form with us. God is really, truly trying to be present with us. Man, He's really trying to make the effort. He is just constantly coming after us. And, and guess what? Even if we get it wrong, He's not trying to alienate us. He's not trying to push us away. Guess what He says in Matthew chapter 11, 28-30? Come to Me. Come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come. Come into the Holy of Holies. Come next to me. Come fellowship. Come to me. Come. I am open. My arms are wide open. Man, come. And he says, come to the people with society marginalized. He called those that people look down on blessed. Man, he said, come. Come, come, come. Oh, man, I love it. He was the epitome of order. Let's talk about his temptation with Satan. Many, many connections and parallels to Adam and Eve's temptation. And where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus succeeds. The first temptation, Jesus has been in the desert 40 days, 40 nights, hasn't eaten anything. Pretty hungry, I'm guessing. (laughs) And Satan comes and says, hey, if you're the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. I just made some bread, some homemade bread yesterday. Homemade bread is awesome. It is the best thing in the world. My goodness. That is one heck of a temptation right there. All right? And I absolutely love it because what, what Satan is trying to get at is he's trying to see, can I get disorder out of you, Jesus? Can I get you to use your power in a way that you don't see God the Father doing it. We know from John's Gospel and many others that Jesus says, I only do what the Father, I see the Father doing. I only do, and Satan is trying to see: do we have any holes in this relationship? Hmm, do we have any doubts on Jesus' part as to the goodness of the Father or anything like that? Let's see if we can get Jesus To do something that he doesn't see the Father doing. Hey, you're pretty hungry. Turn these into bread. Jesus passed the test. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the Father. There is no holes in my relationship with God. Every word that comes from the Father way more important. Passed the first test. All right. Second test. All right. Takes him to the top of the temple, and says, "You know, if you're the Son of Man, Son of God." You know, throw yourself down from this temple because as Psalm 91 says, you know, you will command your angels concerning you to protect you. And I love it. An arrogant, insecure person will fall for such a uh, debate of, you know, if. You know, right? Are, Are you really as strong as you really are? Let's see. Let's see your security, Jesus. Let's see if you really are secure in who you are. See if you have to prove yourself. Ooh, Satan loves that. He loves that people have got to prove themselves. Man, he just eats that up. You're easy to bait into overextending yourself, to going too far, to reacting too heavily. And Jesus says, stop. Don't put the Lord your God to the test, is what the Word says. Don't put me to the test. Ooh, the Second one. Third one. Arguably the hardest one of all. Takes him to the highest mountain. Let's Jesus look over all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says, I will give you all authority, Satan says, has been given to him. And I will give you all the authority to all these kingdoms if you will just bow down and worship me. What is so tempting about this is that we know from the end of Matthew that because of what Jesus did on the cross, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. But it was through the cross, through the way of the cross, that Jesus would get it. And Satan is literally taking the book out of Genesis 3 where he's saying, I want to see if you're going to take something prematurely. Let's see if you're going to take it prematurely. Undoubtedly, God was not going to hold out on Adam and Eve forever. He wanted order. He wanted wisdom. They just weren't ready to take from this tree yet. He would not withhold it for all their lives. There's no indication of this. There's just an indication that where they were right now that they could not have for this and they were going to learn obedience and submission and order by abstaining. But Adam and Eve took it prematurely without God giving them permission. And so Satan is coming back to Jesus saying, will you take the authority to all these kingdoms prematurely by an easier road, arguably, not through suffering and death, but by just just taking a knee and worshiping me. Man, Jesus once again passed the test. No, only worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Satan flees from him. Jesus is the epitome of order. Epitome of order. And that is why he defeats the two poster children of disorder, sin and death. Sin brings disorder. and constantly twists God's order. We see it in a multitude of fashions. The easiest one, as always, because it's so relevant to our culture, the sexualized culture. God creates sex. It's a wonderfully good thing to be into the confines of a relationship, a marriage between a man and a woman. And we all know all the many ways it has been twisted and put into disorder and the effects of such an act. Man, and you could take it anywhere. You could take it to anything. As Me and my dad you know, talk all the time. Humans have a knack for taking anything good and making it an idol, which would then make it not good. (laughs) And it's terrible. But Jesus does not. Jesus is the epitome of order. Conquers disorder. And now we find ourselves in this realm, kind of not this realm, but this age of of order and disorder. Kind of between the times. But we're looking forward to a time as Revelation 20, 20, Revelation 21, 22, 20 through 22 talk about this new new creation, this new way of order. It's wonderful. We look forward to it and yet Paul says we can have a taste of it because we are new creations. We are new creations in Christ. We are a new creation. What a wonderful thing. And so I my kind of my, my, my charge for you guys is, Uh, we often think about what have we been saved from. Uh, We think about we've been saved from sin and death, undoubtedly. But we need to also think about what we've been saved to. And if Genesis 1 through 3 are load-bearing, which they are load-bearing to the overall message of the Bible, then undoubtedly we have been saved to the presence of God. As Paul very beautifully says, You now have the Holy Spirit, and you are a what? A temple of God. You have been saved to intimacy with God. And once again, very similar to the Old Testament, when you have intimacy and live in the presence of God, you don't just get to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. <laughs> It's a bummer. I know. I wish. I know. It would have been nice, you know. But that's not the case. It's not the case. And actually, it's not a bummer. It's a wonderful thing. Man, those, those other things just enslave us. And they just steal, kill, and destroy, and they take more of us than we ever. And then we find ourselves addicted, and we find ourselves can't control them. And, and we get so led by the nose by some of these things that God said, man, don't do it. I'll do it. That's not order. Trust my way. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And comparatively, it undoubtedly is. Jesus is a shepherd. These sinful idols and these things we make, they're slave drivers. Man. Oh, I can't go to sleep without doing whatever we're addicted to, right? Can't go to sleep, can't function. Gotta have this, gotta have that. Man, just need something to take off the edge. Life is hard. Got all this stuff going on. I need this. I need that. And they're slave drivers. And they beat us up and over and over and over. And man, Jesus says, take my yoke. Submit to my order. Take my Holy Spirit. Depend on me. Man, pray for strength. Invite me. Trust me. Walk with me. I'm a shepherd. And guess what? I'm going to make you lay down my streams of water sometimes. i will make you lay down in grass. Because I'm not going to drive you all, all ragged. You're no use. No, He makes us rest. He takes care of us. He knows our needs before we're even aware of our needs. We're saved to God's presence to live with God. And so holiness is not something that goes away in the New Testament. It is still very much there and very much central to our behavior as Christians. Very much. Because we live in the presence of God. Thank God. Man, our charge again. So think about what you're saved to. And then fulfill your royal priesthood duties. As I said, you are still ruling and you are still a priest. You are in God's presence. The Holy Spirit is in you. You are in God's presence. So extend God's presence out. Be a part of His plan. Don't be an agent of disorder, which again would just be disobedience and sinful behavior. That would just be bring more disorder. Be an agent of order, of wisdom, of God's Word, trusting it. Let that emanate out from you. It starts with you. It's hard to make it emanate out from you if there's nothing going on in here. So make sure it's going on up in here and then emanate it out and extend God's presence, not your presence. Man, we live in a culture. Make a name for yourself. Make a name for yourself. Promote yourself. Promote yourself. Get on social media. Be an influencer, right? Build something that with your name on it so that people can see, whoa, you're awesome. Extend God, man. Don't become a slave to that because, boy, I know some people trying to extend themselves. Like their name, and they they just spend so much time working multiple jobs, and, and they're on social media, and they're just grinding, 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 grinding. And grinding. I just want to say, right? Extend God. Extend God. Man. How can we do this? Very practically. Get wisdom. Pursue holiness earnestly. Make sure relationship with God is priority number one in your life. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning, not the end of wisdom, not the middle of wisdom. It is the beginning. It is the door you must go through. If you don't go through it, you do not get it. (laughs) the fear of the Lord, right relationship, putting Him number one. That is so, so important in our world. And it's so, so important to take inventory of ourselves, making sure we're doing that. Something has not snuck in the back door. Something has not been twisted. I know I can easily, in my mind, so I'm sure we all can do it, easily justify, this is about God. Yeah, this is about God. And you're like, it might be about me too. Hmm, this is interesting. No, it's about God. Right? We know we can do it. Make it about God. Make it about extending God's presence, extending God's order. Man, I love that. So there we go. You can understand the whole Old Testament. Any questions about the Old Testament? (laughs) It's wonderful. God is so good. Stand with me. We'll close in prayer. Amen. Father God, we are so grateful. Man, so grateful that you just didn't leave us to our own devices after the fall. And just uh, say, you know what, whatever. Do what you want to do. Do you, boo. And I'll do me. Man, we're so grateful you didn't do that. We're so grateful, God, that you continue to initiate and continue to this day to reach out to each and every one of us. Man, we're so grateful you meet us where we're at. Oh, so grateful, God, for your grace, your mercy, just your patience with each and every one of us. Man, we're so, so grateful, God. We can't praise you enough. So grateful that you even want to live with us, (laughs) even want to be with us when we slap you in the face and stab you in the back and don't even give much, much attention or weight to your words. Man, God, we're so grateful that you are so uh, trying to help us and, and have given us your Holy Spirit to help us, to give us strength, to give us, guide us into all truth, to give us the power against all these million temptations all around us to just get disorder to emanate from us. Man, we're so grateful you've made us a new creation, a new creation in you, Christ. We want to be your agents of order, God. We want to be royal priesthood. Part of the royal priesthood. We want to fulfill our duties, God. That you have created us to be. We want to have intimate relationship with you, Father God. We know we have been created for you. And as Augustine said, we believe it's true. Our hearts are restless until they, they find their rest in you. Because we were created for you. God, even if we don't necessarily feel that this morning, or we, it feels fake or, or just not like we really mean it. God, we still say it, because it's still powerful. We still take it as true. And so, Father, God, help us to put you number one. Help us to keep you number one. God, help us put nothing beside you. Help us to make our lives totally about you, nothing else. Nothing else. And let it, let it affect everything else. Not that we can't do other things in life, but may it all be, come back to is this about you, God, about our relationship, and how does this affect us. God, we're so, so grateful. We just love you so much. And just a wonderful word. and Wonderful. Uh, so grateful for your word and your Bible. And just how deep it can go. And, and that it is a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May it be so this week as we seek to follow you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. And we all said together, amen. Amen, amen.